If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12, that's the entire psalm. Now, let me set the ground for the reading of our scripture passage this morning. It's early 17th century. The place is Holland. The country is overrun with Spanish troops led by the notorious and cruel Duke of Alva, secular arm of the papacy and the Spanish Inquisition. His mission to bring the country back under the yoke of Spain and back into the arms of the Mother Church. His dreaded courts have already sentenced thousands to torture, to imprisonment, and to the stake. Hollanders call it the Council of Blood. The fight back, they fight back, cutting dikes to drown his troops, putting up resistance for the right to worship God without the interference of Pope, priest, or prince. In one of the Duke's dungeons is a notable prisoner, John Herwin. He's a man of like passions as we are, yet very strong in his faith and filled with the Spirit of God. In his dreadful prison, like Paul and Silas of old, he simply sings. He sings and sings so much that the people begin to flock to hear him. But that defeated the purpose of the Council of Blood, so away with him. His execution is ordered. He is ordered to be strangled and his body burned. At the place of execution, he lifts his head high and sings. An angry priest interrupts him, tries to make him stop. The martyr gestures to the crowd. They lift their voices and join him in his songs. And what does he sing? He sings the psalm that we're looking at this morning. Please give ear to the reading of God's word. I will exalt you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, By your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, what a privilege it is for us to come before your throne. We know without your word, We could never understand what it means to stand before that throne. Thank you for your word, for the message of love, grace, and wisdom that it gives us. Thank you for men like John Herwin, 
who gave their lives that we might still have the privilege of worshiping you. Take this message and the inspiration it gives for us to stand up and be witnesses for you even when our lives are disrupted and our comfort removed. Let it make us stronger in our love and commitment to you. In Christ's name, amen. John Herwin knew what awaited him when he finished the song he was singing. He knew God could deliver him from this death, but he also understood in his death he would find deliverance, eternal deliverance. He speaks to the crowd and he tells them, I'm going to be sacrificed. Follow you me when God of his goodness call you to it. This is a Psalm of David. The title says it was written to be sung at the dedication of the house of David. Now the question is, is this David's house or is this the temple of God, the house of God planned, that David planned? David was not allowed to build the temple. He, brought, he bought the property because he was a warrior. He was not allowed to build it. If, as many believe, it was written to be used in the dedication of the temple, it is indeed a very remarkable psalm of faith because David would have been writing about something he would never see. It is also a psalm of great praise for it deals with, the ju- with a judgment stayed and a forgiveness given. This psalm looks forward to a great day when joy will overwhelm and all will be made right. Let's examine the psalm. In looking ahead, David offers praise for God's protection, praise for his mercy and for his divine favor. He praises God because he hears the prayers of his people and for wonderful joy given those who love him. David begins this psalm by praising the Lord for his protection from sinful men. He also adds praise for the protection given him for his own wicked behavior. As we look over David's life, we see how important this aspect of protection from personal behavior was. David had his share of enemies. During the days of King Saul, he was forced to flee and hide many times. Even when things seemed to be going well as king, enemies were in his court trying to cause him trouble. In the midst of his own family arose enemies. As one of his sons rebelled against him, even succeeding in running him from his own throne for a time, David knew, he knew how they would all celebrate if he were defeated. Verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, For you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Now David knew that it was was only because of the hand of God that he had any victories. He understood that the victory was really God's and not his. It was God that lifted him out of the reach of his enemies. And he gives all the praise and glory to God and to God alone for each victory in his life. David continues with the testimony of healing. Verses 2 and 3. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you helped me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive 
that I should not go down to the pit. Now the historical narrative of David, of his life, doesn't tell us about any serious illness he ever had. Perhaps here he is referring to his sin sickness. The Lord healed him from his sin and made him anew, giving him life in the Lord, free from the ravages of sin. In his sin, we hear David cry out to Yahweh, the covenant God, the God of of creation, and certainly his cry was heard. He says, O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. The pit was hell. David knew his sin was serious. He knew that the Lord would demand his punishment, his just punishment, or he would spend an eternity in hell. He also understood, apart from the mercy and grace of God, that's exactly where he would have gone. He praises God for healing his spirit. He knew sin kills. He knew he was responsible for his own sin. David was not looking for someone else to blame for his failure. He accepted his sin and the responsibility for it. Here is the reason God said David was a man after his own heart. Today, with our dependence on pop psychology, we want to look for someone else to blame for all of our sins. It will not work. That's not the way it goes. God says you are responsible for your own actions. Therefore, any who want healing from the ravages of sin must come confessing their sin and repenting of their sinful acts. David saw the temple of God as the place where this would happen. He saw the picture painted by the temple and its sacrifices as a glimpse into the glory of the Lord who would come and bring hope and forgiveness to his people. So, David lifts his voice and prays that God has given him protection from his enemies and from himself and the sin he so easily falls into. Dear ones, you must understand, God says you are responsible for all of your actions. You will be judged by your words and deeds. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? But here, here is where the understanding of the blessing of the temple can help. The temple was the place where sins could be atoned for and deliverance from sins found. The temple was a foreshadow, a foreshadow of the one who would come and accomplish for all of God's people atonement. Jesus Christ was the completion of that work. David recognizes that his protection is found in God and in God alone. He saw that his enemies were not able to get to him because of God's arm. God always protects you from those with evil intentions. Does that mean you will never suffer any loss at their hands? No, that's not what it means. It means God will always work out the actions of your persecutors so that in the end... Good comes to you as one who loves the Lord. As one who is righteous because of the blood of the atonement, you will be blessed through whatever circumstances the wicked cause in your life. But even more important is the recognition that God 
always protects you from yourself. God is always watching over those who love him. I don't know about you, but I'm awful glad of that. He is always with you to turn you back from your sin. He's chastening while it may be grievous at the time. It's really his love protecting. It protects you from loss of eternal life. It keeps you safe from eternal death. These are your greatest and most dangerous enemies. So what you do? So what do you learn here from David? What is he telling you? You learn the Christian life must be a life of holiness. Now that's a scary thing for us because we don't have it in ourselves to be holy. You must come before God and you must confess your sins. You must willingly work at turning away from those sins. This was the purpose of the temple, to give a place where you could come before God and make such confession and repentance. The temple was a reflection. It was a reflection of the one to come from whom you could learn to live your life in God's grace and mercy. Jesus. Jesus is the temple of God, the temple of God for all who believe and trust in him and in him alone. You, with David, should lift your voice in praise before God. You lift it in praise for the protection Christ has earned on your behalf. Christ has done everything necessary for you to enter heaven. There's nothing for you to do but walk the walk. People are good at giving God praise for for his love, compassion, and grace. It's easy to do that. But here, we see David lift his voice to praise the holy name of God. Verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. He really looks into the full measure of God. This is where so many run into a problem. When you examine the full character of God, you will see his holiness. It stands out. You will learn it is his holiness is what requires punishment for your sins. God being holy cannot look upon sin. You got your scripture turned to Hebrews twenty Hebrews twelve, verses twenty eight and twenty nine. Hebrews 12, 29. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Sin. Sin immediately coming into the presence of God is consumed by his holiness. His holiness is such a bright blaze that the seraphim hide behind their wings as they cry, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. But as you study God's character, you find he is also a God of mercy. You see that upon his mercy, all pardon is based. Please understand, God does not allow you into his presence and say, you're sorry you sinned, I'm sorry you sinned, so let's just forget it ever happened. 
No. No, that will never fly with God, for he always demands justice. This demand comes from his holiness. His justice must be fulfilled. You cannot come into his presence without his justice having satisfied on your it been satisfied on your behalf. He has to satisfy it. That's why Jesus came into the world in the flesh. He came so he could pay the price for your forgiveness that you could never pay. You have to come before God in a holy condition. You must come in Jesus Christ. Any sin you have committed has to be cleansed from your record. For you to stand in his presence, every sin has to be paid in full. Why? Because he is holy. This is why so many want to overlook the attribute of God's holiness. They seem to want to just do away with it, that God was really holy. Surely he made some mistakes. The scripture tells us, no, he is holy. God has a character that is perfect. It is made up of grace, mercy, love, goodness, holiness, compassion, and justice. All of those things are involved. David praises God for his mercy. He continues lifting his voice in praise of God's compassion. He does this all in remembrance of God's name. Just receiving mercy from God is not enough. You also need his compassion. Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You have no greater need than the compassion of God. Behind God's justice is always his holiness. Behind his holiness is always his compassion. Sorrow is only a passing stranger. It comes in the night but is driven away by the dawn. With its passing, joy comes. God understood. So he began his day with evening followed by morning. Genesis 1, 5b. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The Old Testament is a shadow of the new. You are born into the evening of life. Your joy, your day begins with your arrival in heaven. The Old Testament saints lived in a dark and menacing time. They saw the truth only in shadows and forms. Then the day broke, Christ appeared, and clarity came through the sun. Joy was exposed, and hope took its place in the hearts of men. The temple David is talking about is the temple in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit uses this to show the joy of Jesus Christ because he understood the true temple of God is made up of believers. You realize the temple we're looking for is a spiritual temple. It's a temple of believers, not of mortar and stone. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 6.16. Now this is a very important verse. And you need to to mark it in your Bibles to remember it. 1 Corinthians 6, 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his taking his place at the Father's right hand, you are passing through the night of your experience. Does it not at times seem in your life that things have gotten awful bleak? I think we can all recognize that in our own lives. But you know, from the Bible, that's only a temporary thing. It is temporary because the sun is coming back. He will return, and with one glimpse of his glorious face, all sorrow will cease, and joy will be yours in the morning. Please understand. Even now, in the night, you have his joy, his compassion at your disposal. You are already a part of his temple. The sacrifice has been made. The victory won. Christ came into this world to live the perfect life. So he could also offer that perfect life as an atonement for your sins. He is building his temple. He's building it with the souls of all who believe and trust in him. You are a building block in the temple of God. But joy is yours. Yet, you will see even greater joy in the morning of his coming as you are made perfect in him. When you are brought into the temple of the heaven, never to leave, praise him for your joy, for it will do nothing but grow throughout eternity for all who know and love Jesus Christ. It is Christ Jesus who is the rock of your existence. It is in Christ alone that you owe all of your praise. Lift your voice with men like John Herwin and praise your Lord. John Herwin used the temple of Christ, the the temple he's building, to give himself hope in the face of the darkness he faced. He prayed in his temple. He prayed in his commitment to Jesus Christ. He sought his answer to prayer in Christ Jesus and in Christ Jesus alone. David was looking at dedicating the temple when it was built. Knows that to serve God and to honor him, praise must be offered to his favor. One of the remarkable things I find about the Bible is the honesty with which the characters speak about themselves. In our day, men, even those who serve the Lord, tend to try and sell themselves and showcase their perfections while hiding their faults. Have we not all been guilty of that? David says he was proud and blown up in his opinion of himself. Yet he saw God through God's dealing with him, and even in his punishment of him, continued to shine his favor on him. You have to be careful with this. Just because things seem to be going well in your life doesn't mean... God's stamp of approval is on what you're doing. The terrible lie being spread in the church today is that the ends justify the means. The church is being told you can do anything to draw a crowd because your goal is to give them the gospel. That's pure nonsense. Utter foolishness. The call of the church is to preach the truth. The call of the church is to stand up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
God tells you how to draw people. Christ says in John 3, verses 14 and 15, And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christ must be preached if men are to hear. God also tells you it matters very much how you live your life. 1 Peter 1.16 quotes Leviticus 11.44 and God saying, Be holy as I am holy. That is why God blesses his people. They follow him. He will even allow some blessings to continue when sin is present and while he chastises you for that sin. He does this because he loves his people. Consider your children. Even when they're not following your instructions, you continue to show them favor. Why? Because you love them. Do you not believe God loves his children as much as you love yours? Believe me, he loves them even more. Which should cause you to praise him even when you have sinned and when he punishes you for that sin. David recognizes that God was a gracious God, that he was gracious to him, even in his sin and in the punishment of that sin, causing him to stand firm as king. David knew. He knew God was not being easy on him, for he at times did hide his face from David. David testifies to those times and says they were times of dismay. So David raises his voice in praise of God's favor, verse 7. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. You can also go through those times when you seem to have no assurance. God, for his own reasons, takes away his presence, and you feel all alone and lost. Please remember, the Lord clearly tells you in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But you must know there will be times when for his own reasons he takes you through the desert. He takes you into the wilderness. When those times come, your response must be the same as David's. You must lift your voice and praise Jesus for all the favor he has given and continues to give. Look into his word and look to the gifts represented in the great temple of your God. Gifts he freely gives to all who call upon his name. To all who lift their voice to heaven with thanksgiving. Then you will experience the wonderful fellowship found in this marvelous temple. The temple of our Lord Jesus Christ. David was aware of the sins in his life. He lived with the consequences of them. He also knew that God was a God of mercy. He lifts his voice and calls out to God in prayer. Verses 8 and 9. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? He boldly, boldly reminds his, the Lord of his desire to serve him, to be his witness in this world. He asked the Lord how his destruction will benefit the Lord's name. David makes this plea in confidence it will be heard. How does he know? He knows because God says through his word, 
He will hear all who call on him. You can be sure when you come into the temple of God and call on his name, he will hear. You will respond just as David and lift your voice in praise of his willingness to hear even the cry of the sinner like yourself. David approaches God with the greatest need any man could ever have. He comes researching. Sorry. He comes searching, pleading for God's mercy. David understands his sinful nature. He knows he is completely without worth that would allow him to enter the temple of God and present his petition. He comes with a short but accurate plea concerning his need. Verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. O Lord, be my helper. If God does indeed hear prayers, what an act of mercy that is. It is such a great act of mercy because none of our prayers as sinful men deserve hearing. Because of his temple, we know God does hear those who call on him with a broken and contrite heart. David continues his call upon the Lord, asking that God be his help. David knows, as all should know, he has no ability with which to help himself. In this world, men are completely helpless when it comes to spiritual things. Paul declared that men were dead in their trespasses and sins. There was absolutely no way to come into the temple of God on their own. David knows without God's help, there will be no temple. The temple in Jerusalem will never be built unless God goes before the work and prepares the way. There will never be a living temple of God unless Christ comes and prepares the way. He must come and live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory before this temple of living souls can be built. Jesus came. He came. He completed everything needed to build this great spiritual temple we call the church. David knew his voice lifted in praise was only possible because his God would and could hear his prayers. Jesus is the true cornerstone of this great temple. Praise him. Lift your voice in praise to him. Praise him for hearing. Praise him for your salvation. David's greatest praise is saved for last. He lifts his voice in praise to the one who builds this great temple. Verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. He praises God for the change in him. God gave him a new heart. He lifts his voice in praise to God. He says, you turn me from sorrow to joy. This sackcloth represents his flesh. The joy is God's grace in his new heart. The word in the Hebrew put off means you have torn out. The picture is you have torn out my old heart of hardened flesh and given me a new heart made from your grace. I would ask you to stop and consider what you have to praise God for in your life. I trust each one here it has a new heart. But if you don't, then let me call you to consider your life. If your heart is hard and you are troubled by it, then all you need to do is call out to Jesus Christ. 
Open your heart and believe on this one sent from God to save souls and build his temple. Believe on him and repent. Turn from your sinful, selfish ways and you too can become a stone in this living temple. Open your ears and listen. Open your heart and follow Jesus Christ into this glorious temple, a temple of living souls. David continues in this verse, last verse, with thankfulness. Verse 12. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, there's a man with a muckrake in his hand. He's busy. He's always grubbing in the muck of the earth. He doesn't know that just over his head is a crown of glory because he never stops to look up. Here in this verse is where David finally looks up. He sees the crown of glory that awaits his confession and repentance. He finds directions to finish his life. He takes hold of this great life that is his in God's temple, and he never lets go. What a sin it would be if after receiving God's mercies, you fail to stop and thank him. There, the one way you can be sure not to forget is to come into his temple. Then let your life be engulfed by the love of your Lord and Savior and mingled with the host of heaven and your fellow saints in this life. Let me tell you about God's wonderful gift. A gift he gives to those who love him. The gift is the joy of answered prayer. It is his eternal watch care over his people. God the Father and God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit to be with his people in his temple. You should know that once you have the Holy Spirit and are in the temple, he will never be parted from you. David, in praising God in this psalm, because he is ever watching his people, he is there to answer their prayers. We began this morning with an account of the martyr John Herwin, a man that knew the Holy Spirit was with him, even as he faced death for his faith. David wrote this psalm for the dedication of the temple. That makes it a very particular blessing to all believers, especially to those under persecution. Why? Because it offers hope. Hope that is grounded in the promises of God, which ask in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? A promise that guarantees your, you answers to your prayers and a place with the triune God in the temple of heaven forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you because we believe and trust in your word and promises. We know the day of judgment is coming. We know you have told us it is not for us to know the times or dates you have set by your authority. You have told us we will receive power through the Holy Spirit so we can go forth as your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Minister in our hearts today, Father. And strengthen us in our resolve to hear your word and carry it into this lost and dying world. Prepare us for the work you have called us to, that we might be prepared for the day of the Lord when he comes. We ask these things 
In Christ's name, amen.